Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Like when you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast, you go on and on, and then you die. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I am your host, Clint Wells. My co-host, Ethan Luck, is still on vacation with his wife. I hope he is having a good time, getting a lot of much-deserved rest and relaxation, and I hope, by God, for all means, that he's wearing a Hawaiian Metallica shirt. Uh, this is episode 204. We're going to be going through Rob and Kirk's doodles with my friend, friend of the podcast, Tom Kui of Alpha Metallica. Hi, hello, you know him. He's across the pond. He covered every song, A to Z, as it were. Yes, and carry on, and yes, and and salutations. And He's a good friend of mine, and uh, he had this idea a couple of months ago where I think he's... So he's already done volume one of this where he covered the European arenas where I think really Rob and Kirk started doing this. Every city, they would drum up a new cover song to do to either pay homage to the city they were in or if it was some you know famous person's birthday of a musician they would play one of their songs so he's already done a part one over on alpha metallica highly recommend that metallica podcast it's super fun uh covering all the songs ethan and i were guests on several different episodes uh, i believe i did episodes for better than you thorn within just a bullet away ethan and i both did an episode on inner sandman ethan did blackened i think he did the um, one of the unforgiven songs and then plus a lot of people in the Metal Up Your Podcast community overlap with with uh, Alpha Metallica. And so he's had a lot of guests that of names that you will uh, be familiar with if you've been on the ride with us for a while. So you'll want to check out his part one. This is going to be part two. And uh, I had to split this into two episodes because we talked so much about so many of these different bands. And it wasn't really Tangent City because we were always talking about whatever was kind of happening with the songs they were covering, but uh, it was enough ground to where this is going to be a, a split episode. I'm going to put the other one out on Thursday. Uh, so that's what the episode is. It's all the cover songs that Rob and Kirk pulled out, and you're going to hear what we think about all those, and we pulled in clips. Thanks to Tom for getting a lot of that organized. And so let's knock out this housekeeping, and we'll get to the episode. In the news, the most interesting thing that I saw that happened this week was... Rolling Stone does this artist on artist in conversation type thing where they paired up Phoebe Bridgers with Lars Ulrich. And if you don't know who Phoebe Bridgers is, she's sort of a, I mean, she kind of came on the scene two or three years ago, but she's been critically adored, a big fan base, a really great songwriter. And the two songs that I'll point you towards if you want to check out to see if you like her, one is called Smoke Signals from her debut LP, and then one is called Killer from an EP that she put out. She kind of was in the news a little bit because she's one of these women that 
was in a New York Times article that she dated Ryan Adams and he's apparently a big creep. And so she was a big part of that whole, you know, Ryan Adams is a jerk article. Uh, but her songwriting is really amazing. And so this interview with Lars is interesting. She knows her stuff. She's into some, you know, metal and punk rock and they talk about all that. But the interesting thing that is revealed in this interview is Lars says that him and Metallica have, are three to four months of like into seriously putting out or writing rather a new Metallica album, which I think is the first sort of official thing we've seen that boys have been kicking around in different interviews or with those. Uh, so what interviews that they've been trying to write remotely and getting everything synced up and all that stuff with the technology and it's tough and blah, blah, blah. But this is when he says that they're actually three to four months into, into earnestly writing a new album. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, I think, so that's really the only thing. The All Within My Hands charity gig happened. I did an episode where I sort of burnt the show down. Pretty cool set list. Really fun concept. It was generally considered a great success. And uh, we did a really fun uh, Zoom Patreon hang the next day where we didn't really watch any show or anything. We just sort of hung out and talked. And it was really cool. Avi Vinegar, who's been on the show before, the Goodnight Texas Cat friend of mine, he actually came and joined the Zoom call and talked a little bit about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff with the uh, with the All Within My Hands gig over at HQ where he works. So that was fun. Dan Cantor showed up. And, you know, I'm going to try to uh, corral our Metallica friends that we've made on this uh, podcast journey into popping in on those Zoom calls. You know, get Bruce Coughlin in there, get Edwin Outwater in there, Scott Pingle, our friends in Hailstorm, Jay Weinberg. Uh, get a logo in there. It's just a sort of fun, loose way to hang out ask some questions. I don't know. It's really cool. There were about 35, 30 to 35 people hanging out most of the time. So, uh, you know, you can get, uh, get on board with that at the Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash metal up your podcast. You'll hear a commercial for it later. We did get some new patrons. I want to say thanks to them. Scott Marshall increased his pledge. It's awesome. Scott, Nick Garzalini joined the Patreon train, which he's been on and off before. I think people hop on and off the train. Uh, we're appreciative for any of the support, no matter where it comes from or, or if you're on and off the ride. And then also Joseph Parker. So thank you to you guys for helping support the show. The easiest way to support Metal Up Your Podcast is, of course, just leaving a positive review on iTunes. Really easy to do. Goes a long way. Write something about your hiney or your dog or write it in one of Joyce's, write in the voice of Joyce. Or Hulk Hogan or Torben, you can have some fun over there. It makes us laugh, and uh, it helps people get their eyes and ears on our podcast. So thank you for that. Real quick update on the Lunar Satan Kickstarter. So I launched it last Saturday, and within two days, we had reached the goal, which is awesome. And now we're, I guess we're like at 126%, which is so cool. It enables me to do what's called stretch goals. So now I'm going to be able to print it uh, or press the vinyl on this cool blood red swirl if we hit a certain stretch goal, stretch goal, which we're only a couple hundred bucks away from. So at this point, the vinyl is definitely getting made. The tapes are definitely getting duplicated. So you can really just see it more as a, a pre-order. And they're going fast. I mean, I'm pre-ordering 300 of the vinyl and I think we're I'm already at 150 that are going to immediately go out. So I don't know if I'll ever be, be able to press these again. There's 100 cassettes already. I think about 40 of those are spoken for. So this is definitely some special, cool, limited physical media that I think is really unique and special because it was born on the podcast and it's just largely sort of, you know, it's a big part of the podcast. What can I say? Lunar Satan. Um, the Kickstarter, you'll see the links over all of our socials. 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're on all that crap. Go find us on all that. You'll find the the Lunar Satan stuff. And you know, I would encourage you to get involved. Um, all the money goes to just making that project cooler and cooler and and offsetting some of the costs of getting the shipping materials, shipping it to everybody across the world, and then maybe paying some of the people that helped me make it uh, who just did it because they're sweetie pies. Uh, the best way to get a hold of us is our email address, show at gmail.com. And I'm going to read five now and what I will longingly and with loneliness now refer to as the email portal. Okay, the first email is from David Young. He says, hey guys, I've been gradually catching up on your old podcasts. While keeping up with the new ones and through the middle of episode 59, you were talking about how well-produced Garage Inc. was, even though they were all cover songs. Your opinions about this album were really interesting to me, and it suddenly clicked why I never gave this album a chance. Growing up my teenage years in the late 90s, I mostly listened to the radio while in a car, so for me, hearing a Metallica song on the radio was special, and I didn't want it to be wasted on a cover song. I think this was the main reason I wanted nothing to do with Metallica singing covers. Then I realized this is the reason I hate The Unforgiven too. I love The Unforgiven, and when I would hear that opening on the radio with hopes that it was my beloved Unforgiven, I was only incredibly disappointed when it wasn't. Unforgiven 2 didn't stand a chance. Thanks again for renewing my Metallica spirit. I think after so many years I can listen to Garage Inc. with new ears. Dave, P.S. I finally heard the episode that started Lunar Satan. That was a great episode. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I share some of that when they on this all within my hands gig. <laughs> uh, one of the like most responded to tweets that I tweeted when I was live tweeting it was that I was a little annoyed that they were covering House of the Rising Sun by the Animals, which I wrote that as soon as I saw that they were covering it. Like when I heard the first lyric by the end of the song, I thought it was cool. I mean, obviously, the lyric means something to James. It was a good performance. It sounded like Metallica and this may come as a surprise, you guys, but I like the way Metallica sounds. So uh, it was cool. It's just such a uh, an overdone song. And I guess my point is, similar to you not really wanting to spend time with Garage Inc., you're like, well, I would just rather listen to a Metallica album. That's how I feel about that song. I'd rather have heard you know, Halo on Fire or whatever, any other Metallica song. But uh, it is unfortunate The Unforgiven 2 is sort of the the scapegoat there. And I, I hope that uh, as you go back through Garage Inc., that you enjoy that experience and that you uh, give Unforgiven 2 another chance, homie. In terms of the episode that started Lunar Satan, we've been getting this a lot where people are now saying, hey, this happened somewhere. Does anyone know the episode where we, you know, where you guys talked about Spotify or broke down the payouts for songwriters or the episode where Lunar Satan was born or the episode where we first did the Torben impersonation or the Joyce's. If any of you are going back through the podcast, just maybe keep a little notation of these things and send them to us. Because it'd be cool when it's all said and done to sort of have bookmarks for all the fun stuff that happened. Thanks for the email, David. Our next email is Matt Kerr. It says, hi guys, I know you don't like streaming services, but given that they exist, have you ever considered putting together a Metal Up Your Podcast playlist on Spotify this could be an extension of your radio episodes. I've gotten more music ideas from Metal Up Your Podcast than I've ever gotten from Spotify's algorithms. Just an idea. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I'll look into that. Um, most of the radio episodes, if you look in the episode descriptions, you'll see you know, the artist and the song, and you can kind of go find it. But yeah, uh, making it easy for everybody with a Spotify playlist would be cool. 
The idea that I have that I've, I'm personally pretty excited about is I want to do a monthly mixtape, like an actual cassette that Ethan and I make and, uh, and mail it out to it like a winner, you know, probably a Patreon thing, but maybe even, uh, we can expand that out. Um, I just think that would be, I don't know. I just think it would be cool. Thanks, Matt. Fonzie Brookstone writes and says, I don't know if y'all can narrow down your all-time favorite Metallica moment, but I can. The little jam right before the first chorus in Harvester of Sorrow. He says, that jam's so hard. I don't think I've ever heard another Metallica song with a nice groovy jam like that. Thanks for the podcast, fellas. Really glad you guys are around. You guys have made my musical journey. Come back full circle to Metallica. It's what I started with when first getting into music. While on my musical path, I kept Metallica in my back pocket, but got off the ride around St. Anger. I did too. Now I'm inspired to play guitar again with Metallica songs 100% because of you guys. Just wanted to say thanks a heap for that. Lastly, like Clint, Load is one of my all-time favorite albums. I love the experimental sounds and hard-panned guitars. Keep up the grand work. Your pal, Fonzie Brookstone. Well, thank you, Fonzie Brookstone. I really appreciate all that. I'm glad that uh, the podcast is a is a part of what's got you excited about playing guitar again. I think being able to play a musical instrument is incredibly important. It's something you can do no matter where you are, no matter how old you are, and uh, incredibly cathartic and expressive. So I think that's really cool, man. Thank you. Okay, a couple more here. Scott says, hi, boys. Thanks for the hang this morning. I believe he's talking about the um, the Zoom hang. He says, also looking forward to the Lunar Satan album pledged on that today. Well, thank you so much for supporting the Lunar Satan album. I'm currently in Sydney quarantining. Okay, this explains why it was morning for him. I'm currently in Sydney quarantining in a hotel room, which is mandatory for everyone returning. Once out, I'll be able to get back to Melbourne where I live. The moment there's no international flights coming into Melbourne. I made the choice to go back to Scotland as my dad was diagnosed with cancer and has approximately eight months left. I plan to go back again next year. I've said it before and I hear it a lot on the show but I can honestly say that I'm having you guys as my in-ear companions over the last few months, and in particular in this period of quarantine, has literally saved me from going insane. Thanks again for all that you do and the effort you make to engage with the Mel Up Your Podcast community. It really does mean so much. Thanks again, Scott. P.S. Have you noticed how very similar the bass intro on Dawn Patrol and Rust, uh, Dawn Patrol from Rust in Peace and The God That Failed are? I have noticed that. And I think one of the last times I was at Ethan's studio, HQ1, I was jamming on a bass and we were kind of playing God That Failed and joking about um, Dawn Patrol over it. Well, Scott, I am sorry to hear about your dad. And I certainly hope that, uh, I hope for the best with all that. It's such a horrible, scary time, obviously with the virus, but just even normal things like family members not, not doing well medically, being able to be near them and be around them. It's just such a such a trying time for all of us. So I, I feel all that with you. I'm beyond stoked and grateful that the podcast is in any way helpful for that sort of thing. So thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to write in and share all that. Uh, we're grateful for you, dude. Thanks. All right, our last email, Samuel M. Hey, brothers. Just a quick check-in to let you know that I've pre-ordered the Lunar Satan album. Thank you, Samuel. Vinyl and the download from Australia. Costs a little extra for shipping, but it's worth it given all the time you've both spent keeping us entertained and informed since you started up the ride nearly four years ago, but also particularly during these deeply weird pandemic months. Amen, dude. Feel that. The boys put on a great show today. It was a real treat that it wasn't just an acoustic show, but they rocked out as well. Creep Acoustic was great. Wasting My Hate was fantastic. 
and the electric version of the acoustic Disposable Heroes worked surprisingly well. I agree with all that. Keep up the good work as always. Sam from Sydney, Australia, New Jersey, Brazil. Come to Brazil, baby. Master! Master! That's the email corner. Thanks to all you uh, who wrote in. We get more than we can read per week, but we try to select about five to dip in on the fam and see what's going on. Metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. And uh, let's hear a little bit uh, about the Patreon. And then uh, and then we'll be with Tom Quee, and we're going to have a good time. I mean, we talked about so much stuff on this episode, going through these songs, you know, American versus European audiences, uh, you know, the Minneapolis music scene outside of Prince. We talked about all the metal tales from the road, all the different other Metallica podcasts, Dylan and Beatles podcasts. We talked about Arcade Fire, Bruce Springsteen, Death Magnetic versus Hardwired, which is the better album. My friend Bob Schneider, Willie Nelson, Stevie Ray Vaughan. We talked about the Violent Femmes, Gillette Stadium. Uh, we talked about American Sports Obsession. We talked about Beyond Magnetic, Ben Folds 5. We talked about getting into Judas Priest. You'll be very surprised about the argument that Tom and I had about Cannibal Corpse. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, the the post Aussie Sabbath, Rockstar the movie, Dave Matthews, Tom Waits, tons of stuff. And this is just the first half. The next one will be dropping on Thursday. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I'll come back at the end and say bye to you babies. But uh, let's take a break here from the Patreon commercial. And then uh, and then we'll hear from Tom Quee. Hey, everyone. This is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world black and ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slain castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. Well, here we are once again with our dear friend from across the pond. I won't insult you by trying to do the accent while I have you here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Quee. How you doing, Tom? Hello, hello, hi. <laughs> I think that's how you, how you normally satirize me. But no, yeah. Clint, how's it going? Uh, great to be here. Uh, Alpha Metallica represent. As I always say, I am the echo brain of Metallica podcasts, and I'm honored to be back on the hallowed ground that is MUYP. Well, we're, of course, glad to have you. Ethan's still on vacation, having what I assume is a nice time. Uh, I'm here also having a nice time. I I got to say, I poured through. You did a great job of setting this up um, where you, you sort of had cataloged each day, the venue, the song that was covered, and a YouTube link. So then I took that info, put all the clips into uh, the episode. So we're going to be able to sort of, the, the listeners are going to be able to hear what we're listening to, what we're talking about. 
And uh, this is an idea that you've had for, I mean, we talked about doing this months ago, right? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. So for those unaware, on the Worldwide Tour, Robin Kirk, kind of about a year or so into the tour, started doing these doodles. And obviously doodling isn't a new Metallica thing. I mean, you know, go back to Donington when they're doing all the impressions of bands and and, and stuff like that. But yeah, um, for those not aware, these are offerings of local flavor. So midway through the show, whilst James is eating some elk and Lars is getting a rub down, (laughs) the boys will come out. And, you know, play a song from from where they're playing. And, yeah, we have already done the first volume because I realized I originally wanted to just do it all in one go. But then I was like, holy fuck, there's like 150 of these doodles to get through. So I have already done volume one on Alf Metallica with, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, someone that I love having on the show, Jack Chambers, who I think just supported your Lunar Satan Kickstarter. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Shout out to Jack. Thank you, Jack. Shout out to Jack. Yeah, he's a huge listener of yours, and he has a great podcast as well called Sequelizers, which is where him and his two friends kind of fix sequels and prequels to movie. Really, really funny podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great show. Um, so, So, yeah, he came on, and we did... Kind of, I guess, it would have been the European leg. It would have been all the European dates from late 2017 when they started doing it up until 2018. And today we are doing the American version. And there will be a third volume that I'll be doing back in Alphabetallic, which kind of tackles uh, stadium dates and Asian dates and stuff like that and wherever the tour goes. And I guess it's not done because there are still worldwide shows to play. But it's interesting, Clint, because... Um, you know, the European offerings were a little more eclectic. I think, you know, Rob and Kirk are maybe having a bit more fun with it then. Like, people can go back and listen to the episode, but they covered some mad stuff over there. They covered, like, uh, flamenco ballads. They did, like, this weird um, kids, like, like kind of almost joke parody, bonzo, doodah, ba- like, kind of Monty Python type stuff as well. Um, whereas here, they do rest on their laurels a bit more. And um, what this is really fun to go through and you know i enjoyed making those i enjoyed listening you know i asked you clint on our first ever recording together when you came on alpha Metallica way back when when we did better than you it's kind of an infamous quote between us i asked you are you proud of kirk yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and uh you know i'm gonna say i'm not really proud of kirk for most of these like on one hand it's like it's great you know it's it's robin kirk doing prints this is awesome on the other hand when you listen to it it's kind of difficult. I'm not blaming them because these aren't really rehearsed. These are just things they threw together, you know, in soundcheck or whatever. And I love that they did it. Don't get me wrong. But some of them are, uh, they're a little rough, right? Well, as a performer myself, uh, it is hard for me to imagine going on stage in front of this amount of people that consistently and it being that loose. Um, mm-hmm. From what I understand, they sort of premeditated. I think this was mostly Rob, but they premeditated where they would yes. be. They sort of looked it up. I think it was really Rob who who put the charts together, kind of corralled Kirk into it because Rob and Kirk seemed to be the closest, really the closest out of the whole band. They seemed to be mm-hmm. genuinely friendly and spend oh, yeah. time. I mean, Rob just posted or Kirk just had pictures of his birthday where I think they were in Hawaii and Rob was there with him. So. Nice. I like that that comes through like their friendship really does come through and the fun of it comes through. And I think if I think if you frame the whole thing through, let's just actually do what Metallica has done for a long time, which is be authentic, be themselves. You know, they're going to we're going to talk about a Pink Floyd song they do later, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. But Pink Floyd was Mm -hmm. a very stylized, very meticulously put together show. I mean, you're not going to see David Gilmore do anything like what these doodles are. 
imp- oh, God, impromptu God. loose meanderings. And, you know, some of them hit well, some of them kind of don't. I I would say for most. For the most part, they don't really land. No. But that's there's a little bit of charm involved with it too. In terms of why they why they didn't experiment, I guess, more in the States, who knows? I mean, maybe they assumed that American audiences would be a little harder to please. So they had to had to maybe dumb it down a little bit. Or maybe mm-hmm. maybe they got the experimental part of it out on that leg and were like, that was a lot of work trying to do like, you know, esoteric, deep cut, unknown yeah. stuff. Cause you know. We're playing Kansas. We're going to come out and play Carry On Our Wayward Son. It, it, it almost like solves its sure. own problem. And I do think that they're the most successful in these, especially on this leg that we're about to talk about, when they do songs everybody knows. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just when it yeah. lands the most, you know? You're right. You're right. And the crowd aren't as receptive. You know, I love that some of these angles are just really bored Americans watching this, waiting for Creepy yeah. Death to begin. And on most of the European ones we went through, uh, you know, on the volume one and Alpha Metallica, Crowds were lapping up. They couldn't believe that the boys were doing this. They were applauding along. Do you think that has, do you think, I mean, it may not, this may be trying to make it something that's not, but do you think that says something about European audiences versus American audiences? I think, yeah, there's a, there's a gratitude there, Hmm. you know, that they've gone there and there's kind of an expectation perhaps with the Americans. And, you know, I don't want to generalize people. And in my notes, I have some quite offensive things to say about Americans. (laughs) So we'll we'll get to that. You know, we're going to touch on that. Oh boy. Um, but I, I mean, you know, nothing, nothing too personal. But uh, just, just some things I've noticed and uh, some acts. Mainly about like, Ethan, yeah. We mainly can... about reggae, yeah. And <laughs> uh, no, I, I'll, I'll let that one burn. And but no, we are. I suppose so. It's interesting, and that's not to say that they don't go obscure in some directions. Like as we discussed before, when on air, um, you know, I like to think between us, we've got quite a music, quite a wide musical vocabulary. And, and I'm not saying I know every band, of course I don't, neither do you. But mm. there's quite a few bands here. I'm like, who is this band? And it's quite cool that they went there. And I found that I was, you know, in my notes, I was making sort of Spotify playlists of people I hadn't heard of, you know, or um, they do, I think the band's called Indigenous, that they do like a Native American band that we'll get to and, and other stuff like that. So I sort of said they didn't push the boat out. And I'm very grateful that they did this. And I like the fact that on some nights, they didn't do this on the European leg, but I did do it in the American. Uh, when they can't think of anything to play, they just realize it's someone's birthday. So yeah. they'll just do it in tribute to that person. Because obviously you're thinking, why the hell are they playing Pink Floyd in, you know, I, I don't know where exactly they play, but why are they playing in Wichita? <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, it's Dave Gilmore's 73rd birthday. And um, I just think ultimately to put a bow on this, as I said, it's on the first episode as well. This is just so Metallica, isn't it? They really do go to the next level. Can you imagine any big band doing this other than these guys? Like, I certainly can't imagine bloody Slipknot, you know what I mean, playing something like this. Like, But Metallica are happy to indulge the audience. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the point I, I didn't make very well earlier, which is that it's it's very on brand with them. The fact that it's not polished, that it's not, you know, it's not a Nine Inch Nails. I mean, have you ever seen any Nine Inch Nails live performances? Mm, I, I haven't actually, but I know it's very sort of... It's pristine. just so, it's meticulous yep. down to the very mm. second. Everything you see, every... Every aspect of what you're feeling and seeing and hearing is 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 meticulously planned, which there's a lot to be said for that. And and I mean, a Nine Inch Nails show will blow your fucking mind. But but the Metallica flavor, yeah, it would be weird to see that. I mean, all, there's almost a sense to where um, I talked to with our friend Dan Cantor, who who knows a lot about big shows and big tours. Mm. Even the fact that they, I don't know if you noticed this when you saw them in Birmingham, but even the fact that they had these segues between songs where they had tracks being played that would like set up for example the unforgiven 
Yes. Um, that's even an indication that someone there's a, there's a, someone whose job it is to do that. I did in my country band, we had a guy where we do three weeks of rehearsals and we have basically a guy we hire to produce the show. And he comes in and says, Hey, here's the set list. Here's what you should do. Here's the emotional arc of the show. Here's how we're going to get from this song to that song. We're going to build these little musical segues. Even seeing that Metallica did that was a little bit like, hmm, that doesn't seem very them, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because they would take old stems from the Black Album to make that Unforgiven track or like just little things like that I noticed in their show. I mean, we spit out the bone. They never really did that intro. Even for Hardwired, they had they had the intro of the album, right? Doing that that mm-hmm. snare roll and then they would come yes. in. That's that's yeah. unique for Metallica. I think they started really doing that around the World Magnetic Tour. But another interesting aspect of what we're talking about, even when they do these doodles, they have all the house lights on almost. So they just sort of intentionally take the mystique out of it. Which I, I think if they I think if they'd vibed out the lights on these moments, it might have actually gone over a little better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or just some iconography on the cubes yeah, of the right. bands themselves would have helped to like throw up a few pictures of you know his royal purpleness when you're doing right. you know, Dove's Cry or something. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I agree. It, it's funny you mentioned the Americans. There is a lot of there's a lot of people in the crowd looking really confused. That that was like my biggest uh, image yeah. is. It's PP break time, which we well, another thing that uh, we're going to talk about in this episode is we did a metal tales from the road for every one of these shows. So we we talked to I was going to say, yeah, we talked to listeners about every one of these shows. So I'm going to it's going to be fun, like giving them all a shout out. But, you know, the the general the general image I have is just of people either going to the potty or looking real confused. And that's uh-huh. that's not really what you want. You don't really want to build that moment into a concert, but they did. No. They, they did, they did. And with most of the European songs, people were clapping along, you know, enthusiastically. I think there's only one song where people clap along and it's right at the end. I think it might be the Grand Funk Railroad song. Okay. It's just, it's mostly met with a muted response. You know, most of the clips that we're going through weren't posted on the official channel. They were just kind of iPhone clips. And sometimes you can hear behind, you know, the cameraman, people singing along. People can't believe they're playing this song. But yeah. Guys, I love the fact that you did this. I, but I, I, I you know, I'm not going to say that these are kind of classic renditions of these tunes. In fact, I know a few of them have went semi-viral in fan bases for how bad they are, <laughs> and people sort of chuckling like, "Oh my god, look at Metallica trying to do Deftones. Yeah, this is cringe." Right. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I mean, should we, uh, should we jump in then? Let's start September second, twenty eighteen, Madison with uh, "Stupid Girl" by Garbage. Right, which I was surprised because I guess they're I guess Shirley Manson lives in Madison, so that's why they brought it out. But she's British, right? I believe so, yeah. So I, I guess maybe they're based there, but yeah, interesting, uh, interesting choice for Madison. Uh, another thing I tried to do without looking it up was imagine what other bands they could have covered, and yes. I don't know if I know of any other Wisconsin bands. I mean, other than like Bon Iver, I, I don't think we want to see Kirk and Rob 
plague for Emma forever ago. For, for Emma forever, yeah. <laughs> no, know. I can I can imagine Rob doing a haunting skinny love. I really can. <laughs> like like, but but for the for the most part, no. Yeah, you're right. I I did the same as well. I I don't really have your um sort of geographical know how to be like, okay, this is a fucking band from X or Y. But um sometimes googling, you're like, oh my god, there's so many good bands they could have done. Like we'll, we'll get to Minneapolis shortly. But yeah, with some they're kind of hamstrung, aren't they? They kind of have to do this band or that band. And this version is fine. I mean, um. Garbage have a bit of cachet with Metallica, though, right? Because uh, James covered Happy When It Rains at one of the uh, Benefit concerts. Yeah, I think at one of those Sammy Hagar shows. Yeah, I don't know why that band's kind of on their radar. I mean, they're a cool band. I don't I don't know if you were ever hip to them. I, I, I was mm-hmm. of a certain age when they were all over MTV, and I don't think I ever bought an album, but I certainly liked their music videos. I certainly had a crush on Shirley Manson. I thought they were oh, yeah, cool. Babe. I mean, they were a little too weird. They were, they were kind of like industrial techno rock before that was a thing mm-hmm. it didn't really make sense to me except that shirley manson was a total babe uh which no offense to anybody out there but she was a babe uh she was a babe i mean if you're gonna get angry over that you know whatever but yeah no she was a babe um they reminded me a lot of elastica i don't know if they broke in the u.s but they were quite hmm. a big british band no. um the mate the girl singer of that was damon Albarn's girlfriend for many years um, but uh, but yeah, this version. I mean, Rob enters with the tr- enters with the trundling bass line, and they kind of unite on that big riff. Completely dead crowd, yeah. apart from one stray dude in the back clapping his hands. Uh, you know, and um, Rob kind of is getting people to sort of come on, but no one's really engaging with it. Um, and and Rob does say it then, garbage, you know, they're right down the street kind of thing. And he says that a few times. He says, like, these are a local band, you know, you should care. But I guess with the US, more than anywhere, people are coming from all over, aren't they? It's not like you're playing a concert in Manchester and it's all Mancunians. I imagine America's such a sprawling place that you're going to get people from thousands of miles away going because that's the closest show. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, well, first of all, you have the black ticket. So you've got people who are coming from wherever. And then you have, yeah, if they're going to play Madison... But I, I would still say there's some kind of regional pride about that. I mean, sure. you know, no one from California is going to go to Madison unless they're black ticket crazy people. And I say that yeah, yeah, lovingly yeah. with affection. Oh, yeah. You know, you're mostly <laughs> yeah. going to get people around that area. Like when we get to it a little later, like I went to three shows kind of in my region. And you are going to get a lot of that because you got, you know, with Metallica, you got people wondering if they're going to tour again and if it's going to be five years or, if you know, they wait a long time in between projects now. So I do think a lot of people came from all over and went to as many shows as they could. But. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't I don't know, too. I just don't think there's a huge cross-section of Metallica fans that like garbage or care that Shirley Manson lives in Madison. You know what I mean? No. No, no, no. Definitely not. Like, the next song, obviously, Minneapolis Target Center, they do When the Doves Cry. That gets a much bigger response, but how could it not? And it's almost a little, like, really, guys? We're going to do Prince? I mean, I'm a massive Prince fan. have been since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it, in some ways, it's kind of an obvious choice. But in other ways, it's like you mentioned there are other great bands based out of Minneapolis, which we could name them all. But I wonder if something a little deeper than Prince might have been cool. Although, against my own argument, it probably got one of the biggest responses of all of these. It did, Yeah, it did. And I, I love I love Prince as well. And to my shame, Prince is a recent discovery for me after he died, you know, oh, only wow. in the last two or three years. Yeah, I don't know why. I always liked the odd track. And then, you know, he died. And then I listened to the second album, the self-titled, which I mean, I want to be your lover is one of the ultimate pop songs ever. Oh, yeah. And I love and I love the fact that it's six minutes and the last three minutes is just a wig out jam. Like it's just this crazy instrumental jam. Love that song. Uh, You know, and then I was getting into all the records and then I heard Purple Rain. But for me, Sign of the Times is like 
his masterpiece, his opus. Like, I just think that's incredible. choice uh not a great rendition some of the youtube comments on this are brilliant uh this is what it sounds like when music dies yeah i saw that and uh people say anger was the lowest they got rob and kirk hold our beers (laughs) and they (laughs) and it's not a great version uh it's difficult you know to replicate the genius of prince and there are other minneapolis bands i mean a band that I actually like more than Metallica, that are, that are actually kind of one of my all-time favorite bands, The Replacements. Semi-Sonic. Uh, uh, Semi-Sonic, yo. <laughs> Closing times. Husker Du as well, Soul Asylum. Yeah. Like, tons of good bands from Minneapolis. Are REM from Minneapolis? No, REM's from, from Athens. Athens. Yeah. yeah um, there's a really cool band that was actually Dan Wilson of Semi-Sonic, which Semi-Sonic's kind of a joke here. But Dan Wilson went on to to co-write several of Adele's big hits, and uh, oh really? So he's doing okay. He's having a good time. He's he's just a big songwriter. But that's be- fine. But before uh, Semisonic, he, he was in a really cool band called Trip Shakespeare, uh, mm. that was just a huge Minneapolis band. There's a really famous club there called First Ave, where a lot of Purple Rain was shot. First yes. Avenue, and uh, mm. just those sort of I look. It's almost like a, a counterpart to the Seattle movement. There was this kind of huge minneapolis scene in the 90s all centered around first ave and it's it's a really charming cool little ecosystem of music honestly too you know what would have killed in that sing-along doodle section is closing time oh my god yeah think about that it's Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. i mean on the cool factor i can't think of anything less cool than prince but it would have crushed in in terms of a it's kind of like you got to know you got to know what's going to crush, you know? Yeah, you're right, you're right. And they, they've sort of got a bit of an issue with these doodles as a whole because they're just playing a city and going for that band. Whereas in Europe, they're playing Italy, so play an Italian right. band rather than play a Minnesota band. So it's a bit easier for them overseas. But yeah, this is, oh, this is not a good version. Brittle. <laughs> uh, Kirk's tone is really thin. They kind of struggle through. This isn't the typical strum the riff sing the chorus type of song like it's quite an involved track and um i mean they work their way through it they kind of endure it and then it's interesting to see there's a few just a few things that they covered in europe that came overseas um such as when the next show in lincoln and they play uh sheik's la freak yeah which they uh, might have been one of the first doodles they ever did which they had in their back pocket and they work it out and anything of a war, Kirk's going to be slightly competent at getting out. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, don't mind this version. I think that was the first one I saw on the stadium tour before the arena mm. tour that you saw uh, in, uh, shit, where was the first show? In St. Louis or Detroit. One right. of those, they played that. 
And it was kind of like, mm. it was when we were first starting to get a taste of that. I was like, what is this? But then back then when they didn't, I think back then almost every show they would do whatever that was, but then they would do I Disappear, which yes. which I, I loved. You know, they played it every night. Oh, yeah. They were so, It was solid. It was nice to hear a kind of forgotten Metallica song. I love I Disappear anyway, so kind mm-hmm. of a tribute to that era. Um, I did want to mention, I, I forgot to do this. So the first, um, the the Madison was Sarah Sobeck, who did the Metal Tales. So hi to Sarah. She did the first ever one. Then it was Aaron Ginther, who was on the Saravan with her. For the third one was Alex Finney, who I actually haven't heard from in a while. Alex has been on your show, right? Yeah, no. Uh, shout out to Alex. Yeah, we've done some good episodes. We did uh, Misfits cover, if I remember, and a few of ones. Yeah, I haven't heard from him either, but he's a great guy. So we didn't have a recording of this one, but I, it's out there. They've, you're, As you said, this is one that they've done several times. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. It's fine, as is Jungle Boogie. Yeah, right. Uh, the Grand Forks, uh, Hilarious Center. And as we go through as well, I just want to point out hilarious American stadium names. Because I know that commercialism has taken over well, everything, to be quite frank. But sometimes the marketing sort of works and it sounds cool. Like, you know, where the Lakers play, the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. For me, that has a nice ring to it. Right. Like, even though it's Staples, it just has a nice ring. But we are going to get later to the KFC Yum Center. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the KFC Yum Center. And we have the same thing over here. Like, some of our Premier League stadiums, like the Emirates, the Etihad, those sound cool. And then you have, like, uh, one of our trophies is, like, the Alliance Paint Trophy. And it's like, oh, God, this is a bit, uh, a bit tin. But um, but yeah, the Jungle Boogie at the next one. Again, this is one we've heard here. But I I love this song. I love the building of the riff as well. Like it's pretty exciting. This is one of the best ones because it's so recognizable. They just lock in. They're not, again, They if we were to put like a, a succeed column and a, and a fail column, they succeed when they don't really try to get cute. They succeed when they just hammer the riff together. Because um, there's a lot of times where Rob's kind of trying to be both the bass player and the drummer. He plays so percussively and he, he actually achieves that. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like Kirk has a hard time finding the pocket without a drummer. So when they do like a very syncopated pocket driven thing, it tends to get a little clammy, squarely. But when they both Mm -hmm. are just hammering a riff, especially a big hooky riff like that, I think I think it comes off really well. I I have in my notes, this is one of my favorite ones. Yes, yes. This is one they practiced before. And this is, you know, fun to get on board with. Definitely. And then they kind of surprise everybody with a little justice medley. Yes, they do. They do do that quite often with these, don't they? They sort of they you know, like okay, here's something you might not have heard. Here's a little bit of culture, and oh no, 
you know, don't forget, like, here we go. Here's some justice. Here's some either beholder. Here's some uh, shorty straw, whatever. And often they just kind of segue into that, which, um, but this one's, I guess this it, one's unique yeah. though, because they actually do a met, they do like either beholder into the song justice. They ended up just sort of, they would either do a little bit of disposable or shortest straw, but this is actually, actually like a little medley. And I wonder if, I don't know if you remember this about that tour, but the opener was two comedians. It was Jim Brewer and Joe Sib. Right. And as the tour went on, like they sort of famously got lampooned the first couple of gigs because they were just kind of working out the kinks. It went it went kind of long and they were doing trivia and then they and Joe Sib was like DJing or something. And then as they went on, Joe Sib quit being a part of it and they kind of whittled it down to a, a more digestible 20 minutes or something. But I wonder if they were doing that with the doodles, too. They were like, because did, did they play any Metallica stuff in the European doodles? They didn't actually, no. So I no, wonder if this was like... Fully fledged. I wonder if they were like, you know, I mean, all bands do this if they're good, is after any show, even if you're Metallica, you have a cocktail or a coffee or whatever your deal is, and you talk about what was good and what wasn't good, what worked and what didn't work. And I wonder if Kirk and Rob were kicking it backstage or the next day and like, you know, how can we make this better? And I bet they, I bet someone had the idea of like, what if we kind of throw them all a bone and play a little bit of a Metallica thing at the end? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And maybe, no, no, completely. And some, but it's, but also it seems arbitrary because some nights they do it, and some nights they don't, and the crowd never yeah. really seems that into any of these. Really, really doesn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, the next, the next one is a prime example. So, as I mentioned before, like it's very cool to just be like, okay, we're in South Dakota, and I, I googled this because I hadn't heard of Indigenous, but I was thinking to myself. They must have played this for a reason. And I'm like, are there any big South Dakotan bands? Turns out there isn't. Turns out Indigenous are the biggest band. Indigenous, for those who don't know, American blues rock group that came to the prominence in the late 90s. And their their USP, I suppose, is that they're Native American. And and, and that is pretty cool. Mm. Uh, And, you know, it's all very kind of Stevie Ray Vaughan, Santana sort of idea, very guitar-led kind of thing. And um, it's an okay thing i mean it's called things we do um it doesn't particularly stand out in any area i did think it was very cool that it was native american and and i like the fact that they did the nod to that um but i suppose they were a little bit and uh, you know kind of a loss what can we do <laughs> Maybe they, you know, later on they think, oh, it's someone's birthday. We'll just do that. But here. I was going to say, they're like, crap, we're in South Dakota and it's no one we know's (laughs) birthday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. So, or, uh, you know, or, uh, or um, either Rob or Kirk are are deep, you know, like uh, there's an aspect where maybe they had to Google it and, and figure it out. Or there's an aspect that I would really believe about Rob in particular, but actually both of them, where Rob's like, dude, there's this killer band called Indigenous that he actually loves, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know? 
I also wanted to give a shout out to Edgar Baradas, who did the last one. I, I skipped over that. I'm going to find a flow with this. Okay, no, no, no. It's cool. God. It's cool. I keep, I keep stepping on you because you want to. The fact that you did every single concert is incredible. Like, well, that's why this episode, when you invited me to be a part of it, which again, thank you. Um, I, it appeals to me because I have a, I have a bit of an OCD type obsession with like this podcast being just extremely thorough. So the idea of talking through every doodle on this leg of the tour appeals to my sensibilities about the podcast because we we did all the metal tales and it was like really important for me that we do every show mm. and then we do this year in the life series where we cover every single year and so i i love the idea of this show the get so we can talk about this too for the, for this one the guest on this one was our friend shane obershaw who's in a metallica tribute band called one he's the drummer but he also i guess starting a few months ago started his own metallica podcast dude much love don't it, it crowded market come on let the big boys do it <laughs> like all, all respect shane all respect how many are there now there are like seven Oof, i think now. There's, oh, there's, i think there's more than seven there, there's ones that start and end within the same day but there always seems to be a few cropping up but we're not we're not in the level of beatles and kiss i think in terms of bands they have the most podcasts about them well you just started a new beatles podcast right i i have yeah uh it's not actually out at the moment but we have recorded the first three or four episodes so i am a complete hypocrite in that regard because uh, i am starting a beatles podcast but would you say there's any other bands in that echelon i would say it's beatles and kiss i don't i can't imagine any other band that has that many podcasts about them B- bob dylan has a lot oh that's probably a good shout. fifth it's probably 15 and uh the I, I listen to about four of them that are really good mm. I, I have dipped into some of the others and they were really, really bad. But there's about four that are good, but but he, he has a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a Beatles pod that I listen to and they're both huge Dylan heads and they listen to one. They always mention it. What are the ones you listen to? Is it Rolling Bob? That is it. That is the one they mentioned. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good that, one. Well, that, I mean, I don't know if this will, will uh, appeal to you because you are a British person, yeah. but it's two two British actors who I guess may be semi-famous over there. I don't know who they are. Ah, okay. That's cool. They are a little snobby, but they know their stuff, so I, I forgive it. it. It's just a good resource. And they, they generally interview famous people. Like they interviewed Luden Wainwright. They interviewed songwriters. Billy Bragg mm. they interviewed. Really, so, Billy Bragg. Fuck, I love, I love Billy Bragg. Yeah, because Billy Bragg, famously, as I'm sure you know, did the Mermaid Avenue uh, albums yes, with Wilco. With Wilco, yeah. Where they, where they took Woody Guthrie lyrics that didn't have any music, and they rewrote the music. Woody mm-hmm. Guthrie, of course, being a massive influence of Dylan. Blah blah blah. So yeah, yeah. Um, how many Beatles podcasts are there? Did did you look into that? Like, are you kidding why? me? There's like, there's like, there's, I'm not even joking. There's probably a hundred. Like, there's so many. There's so, so many. There's a Beatles podcast that's just about uh, alcohol and the Beatles and, like, Beatles drinks. I'm not joking. It's called Blotto with the Beatles. It's got, like, 20 episodes. Okay. That's that's a hard pass for me. Well, so why – I mean, let's get inside the head of all of our friends that are starting Metallica podcasts. Why do, why do you look at that landscape and think, well, I, I have a unique, fresh thing to say about it? Is that – you know? Like, yeah, how yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, for me, personally, coming from the Alpha Metallica brand, Barn – I love exploding songs and going in detail, and there isn't a Beatles podcast that does that. There have wow. been there have been a few song by song Beatles podcasts, um, one called Completely Beatles, uh, where the guys when the two guys who did it went on to do Star Wars Minute that people might be familiar with, very very popular podcast, but they don't talk about the song. Like my personal all time favorite Beatles song is I'm Only Sleeping, um, hmm. and 
you know, uh, they did an episode on it. It was 20 minutes and they just sort of riffed and just kind of, you know, bantered over each other. They didn't actually talk about the chord progression or the lyrics or the melody or all the stuff we do on Alpha Talica. There isn't really a Beatles pod that does that. So wow. that's that's why I'm doing it. It's not to say that they aren't Beatles pods that really go in depth. There's one called Nothing Is Real, um, Something About The Beatles, Things We Said Today, they're my personal top three. And they have terrific episodes like no, uh, Nothing Is Real, which you should totally listen to, two Irish guys. They just did an episode last week, the filmography of Ringo Starr, and they went through all the films that he's been in and just reviewed them. And it was a brilliant episode. So, you know, but in terms of just doing the granular, melodic work, weirdly there isn't a podcast that does that you think there would be you think there'd be 50 of them well, I'm, I'm with you i'm only sleeping is easily one of my favorite Beatles songs one of john's best i love uh. the backwards guitar solo and i love the contrast between john and 66 singing i'm only sleeping and then john just two years later on the on the white album singing i'm so tired i'm so tired you know yeah. he yeah. he goes from you know whatever sleeping pills to amphetamines you know mm-hmm. depending on whatever drugs he was on but mm-hmm. all right well i'm looking forward to that here is the first gig that we have. We're still on the uh, Sioux Falls show where they do go into Disposable Heroes. And it's pretty cool. It's a nice yeah. little treat that they go into that. So the next gig, they go up to Winnipeg, Canada. Mm-hmm. The, the Metal Tales for that was our friend Paul Miller. Bachman Turner Overdrive's Taking Care of Business. Now, this is one of the ones that goes over the best. Not because it's the coolest song in the world, but because people just know the damn chorus. Oh, and because Canadians are notoriously polite, aren't they? So they're just yeah. kind of, they're, they're thankful that they did that. So yeah, I mean, if you're doing BTO, you're doing this or ain't seen nothing yet. Although it's like, there are so many amazing Canadian bands. It's like uh, Neil Young, obviously we, we're going to get onto Rush, uh, Death From Above. You know, I'm a big Sum 41 fan. I think they're Ooh. a very, very underrated songwriters. Alanis Morissette, Bare Naked Ladies. The only Brian band Adams. I will say that suck, I think the very overrated Canadian band, uh, Word to Arcade Fire. I agree, they're overrated. Yeah, just very totally agree. empty, kind of vapid. Like, they have, the, they have the same problem. Like, I have a big problem with the E Street Band because I, I just think they're overstuffed. They're oh, a man. bad... That's they're insane. A, I, know, I know you're a Springsteen head, and I'm kind of saying it just to piss you off, but um, <laughs> I will always resent Springsteen for uh, nabbing Niles Lofgren. Uh, I, I think he's an incredible singer-songwriter, guitar player, and he did his best work before the band, and then he just got yeah. subsumed into strumming open chords behind Bobby Jean. I know, I, I but I, I thought about that too, because he was such a great singular... Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and actually, he did a lot. Looks. He did a he did oh a lot of God. great stuff with Neil Young too. That's him yeah. playing all the all the piano on after the Gold Rush. And come on, but but here's the deal, man. When Bruce Springsteen says, "Hey, will you come play rhythm guitar in my band?" It's that's a hard gig to say no to. Financially, it is. Spiritually, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, do you want to come sing some of the greatest songs of all time and in, in packed arenas for the rest of your career? Yeah. I, sure. I, I get like I, I have this argument with friends as well all the time one of my friends in particular is a giant Bruce Springsteen fan and I know his back catalog very well I just I, I, look, we don't let, let's not let's not go there but um so yeah they play uh taking care of business We're having a little jam tonight is what Rob says flight hometown flavor Metallica infused and they begin with a bit of devil's dance yeah, which I'm sure that's... I'm sure I'm sure you enjoyed that
you know, any any time the boys nod to that world, I did it. You know, and they start with it too, which is just really yes. exciting. And I, I always wonder. I mean, that that has to be Rob. I, I just can't imagine Kirk is sitting back there going, you know what song? I, 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 I can't even imagine that Kirk has listened to Reload since it was released. No. I just don't think he is that kind of guy. But I could see Rob wanting to dig deep. That's obviously a, a really famous, well, not famous, but it's a it's a very uh, noticeable bass line, that, that Newstead. Mm. Gump, 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 gump. It's a fun, got to be a fun baseline yes. to play. Kirk doesn't quite nail that James part, but um, which again is, would lend evidence to the fact that maybe he hasn't listened to it in a while. But I do just love that they acknowledge it. It reminds me of um, of Wolf Wolfie Van Halen, who kind of is the reason that Van Halen were together really the last probably twelve years, and the reason that their set list kind of got so interesting is you got Wolfie saying, "Let's pull this out. Let's play on. Let's play on fire. Let's play." Uh, you know, I'm the one, and I wonder if Rob is kind of that dude in the band. I know he, I know he's the reason that they played "Spit Out the Bone." He was the guy saying we should play this damn song live. And then once they cracked the code, that was almost like a staple of the whole uh, Hardwired tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, I mean, we have we haven't sort of said it on the podcast together, but obviously, uh, rest in peace to Eddie. That mm, was absolutely fucking... that Wolf song as well. Fuck man, great, great song. Hard to watch that video. Like I could, I, I to be honest with you, I couldn't. I, when I saw what it was, when I saw what it was going to be, I turned it off. I couldn't handle. I get it. I know. I, you don't have to even watch it. it all you got to do is know, it's it's yeah. home footage of him with his dad when he was a kid. Mm. And yeah, the song is very uh, emotional, mid tempo, kind of a strange song, kind of a, kind of a weird song. Yeah, I will say the other song that they played on that Howard Stern interview, the more rocking one, was really cool. I don't know if you heard that. I didn't I hear that clip, called. no, but, um, you know, we're both big fans of Dave and Dave Unchained, uh, yeah. Van Halen podcast, which is extraordinary. And they've sort of played clips before that he's put on Instagram and stuff, and it, it, it bodes very well. So, um, so, so yeah, and this song in general, I mean, Kirk messes a few of the notes up up top. It sounds slightly garbled. It's nothing too invigorating. But as you say, those uh, those Canucks, they, they, they get on board. Yeah. I, I wrote clams from Kirky Poo. Rob singing, ha ha, wow. Gets the crowd to sing the last chorus and it's fun. And then at the end, like I like how like a lot of at the end they'll shake hands or they'll hug or they'll mm-hmm, high five. Mm-hmm. And you just see the friendship come through. And I just feel like those little spiritual moments and aspects of this whole endeavor kind of clear it all up for me. Just as a as a guy that's been in a lot of bands, as a guy that they're just trying to connect with having fun. Like to us, they're Metallica, and it's when they don't really land stuff, it's kind of insane. But to them, they're just trying to get back in touch with what's fun about making music together. So I, that's kind of what I'm seeing, you know, telegraph out from these performances. And then you see it, you definitely see it at the end of this one. Yeah, yeah. All right. So next is the Saskatoon. So they had a couple of a couple of stops up there in Canada, and this one's pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Metal Tales was Alan Fieldell. Shout out to Alan, Tom Sawyer. Yes.
Are you a rush head? No. No. No, I, I, I mean, I watched that documentary and I cried during it, and I thought it oh, was be, completely... beyond the lighted stage. It's like, yeah. in my opinion, it's the ultimate band history doc. It's never been done better than that documentary. It tells you everything you need to know. Anyone can watch it. You know, I think my wife could watch it and and yeah, understand the emotional aspect of that band. And watching it did get me like invigorated, and I think I got a couple of the albums. I, I sort of made notes of the songs that really spoke to me in the doc and. But it it didn't really catch, you know. You know, sometimes like it sounds like Prince kind of caught on for you, where you mm-hmm. you did more than just go check out a few deep cuts. Like yes, you, you, yep. you know what Sign of the Times is. You calling Sign of the Times his best record? That's evidence to me that you you really did kind of get into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm like, I have moving pictures. I have you know, I have the first Rush record without Neil Peart. Love uh, love that, that kind of yeah. It kind of sounds like Zeppelin, which I yes. love. Very yep. very just simple classic rock. And I'm damn glad they existed and that they wrote all the songs I did. I just don't really know it yet. So where where are you on on a scale of on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at on Rush in terms of fandom? Uh, pretty pretty big, pretty big. Like I know a lot of their records really well. I mean, I want to give a big shout out to Mr. Hughes, my biology teacher at school. Uh on Fridays, he would run guitar club. So we would all go to the music room. Anyone was welcome. He'd bring his guitar, we'd have a drum kit, we'd have amps and we'd just jam stuff out. And he was the one that patted me on the shoulder and handed me a tab and says, "Learn this for next week." And he gave me YYZ by Rush. I was like, who the hell are Rush? I'd literally never heard of them. And then I remember going home, listening to that. And Rush for me, it's it's the instrumental prowess that I find so stunning. You know, uh, vocally, Geddy, give or take, you know, and um, thematically, the Anne Rand stuff, I just don't really connect with. But I think as musicians, they are absolutely outstanding. And it's testament to the skill of Rush that they're a free piece. And the most underrated player is the guitar player. Like sure. he's he's the one no one talks about Alex Lifeson who's wonderful and he's so, great oh yeah oh my god he's out of this world um, yeah they were kind of like a to me they were, they're kind of like Steely Dan and that the musicianship is so insane yeah. but they're just way cooler like oh no I, I I disagree but I I think Steely and Steely Dan uh, melodically in terms of their vocals are so rich compared to Rush yeah yeah but if, Steely Dan almost takes themselves too seriously if Steely Dan had a song called By Tour and the Snow Dogs I, that would be cooler to me. Steely Dan are quite sarcastic, I've always thought. They're quite rueful. Maybe you know more about them than I do. Mm. That's just my general perception. Sure. No, very, I, I, that, there's a snobby kind of cocaine slickness about them. It's very, them, very serious, highbrow, white R&B crap, you know? Whereas Rush was like Dungeons and Dragons, and it's yeah. rock and roll. It's like it's like rock and roll, you know? But, it is. But, but smart in a Dungeons and Dragons way, which I find <laughs> hilarious. I mean, they're, Rush are ridiculous. Let's, you, know, let's not, you know, let's not go out of wacky. Yeah. They absolutely are. Uh and this is good. And like we said on the European stuff, I think a lot of where Kirk really shines is the stuff you can tell that he played in his bedroom when he was 15. I have that same note when we get yeah. to the Judas Priest one a little later. I'm like, you can tell that Kirk has been playing the song since he was a kid. And that comes through. Again, everyone knows the damn song. I do like at the top, like hearing, you know, James would generally introduce these as Rob's my brother, Kirk's my brother. Uh, the believability of that varies in each intro but i did think this one was funny because he he says roberto and kirkito which i thought was a funny kirkito. Name for Kirk. yeah yeah roberto, kirkito. Right. and then james even makes fun of the whole lars hashtag wanna thing they're gonna have some fun here tonight so join in if you wanna wanna to me it seemed like a he was poking fun at Lars, which anytime he pokes fun at what, anytime they poke fun at each other, I like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but this one suffers a little bit because uh, I think Rush obviously is so much about the drums, and they're mm, they're good yeah. here. 
but without those kind of splashes in between it is a little questionable but still i mean what guitar player what bass player what drummer isn't you know a big rush fan at their core um and i i, lo- I love the fact that the fact that they did this um yeah I, I i love even more though the next show we're in austin now this is interesting isn't it i don't know if you remember this from well, your... one second one second oh, sorry, we can't we can't pass up not giving a shout out to the fact that they ended it with judas kiss Yes, yes, they do kick into that, yeah. Which is my favorite song off Death Magnetic, so I, I loved seeing that get some love. I don't, I don't think they repeated that again on the rest of the tour. So No, it's, it's mostly thing. Justice, isn't it, that they go into? They don't, they've... Right. But maybe it's weird to think, isn't it? It's like, if they're still playing in 20 years, the Justice slot might be the Death Magnetic slot, and that'll be the that'll be the old school record they hark back to, like... But It's uh, a shame yeah. that they don't... It's a shame they don't play more stuff from... from uh from death magnetic i get it it's a crazy album but it's so good i mean we've oh, talked yeah. about that before oh that i mean so i good. mean i for me it absolutely bodies hard word i know some people see it as equals but i see death magnetic as like 10 tiers above like i i agree with you i, I think i prefer death magnetic over hardware yeah i'm with you on that so the next two gigs are them camped out in Austin for the Austin City Limits Festival, right? So we get to see them on the big stage again. Yes, that's right. It was the festival. I didn't realize that they were doing that. But 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 yeah, yeah, this is uh, October 6th and October 13th. So um, that, what do you reckon? Do you reckon they, I, I'm, Lars, I imagine, just sort of chilled in Austin for that week? Like, Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sure he was somehow privy to the film festival side of it. He's a big film nerd. And, you know, Austin's a really... I, one of my best friends and a guy I toured with for a long time is a, a big Austin musician named Bob Schneider. And uh, when I was touring with him pretty heavily, I, was, I mean, Austin was like a second home to me. It's a really special place, especially if you like culture and art and music. It's it's a very, it's kind of like Portland or Asheville. I don't know if you're familiar with sort of the right. cultural I know, identities I know, I know of Portland, those places. I've, not, I've not heard Asheville as being a place before. That's interesting. Asheville is kind of like a very, it's in North Carolina and it's, people call it the San Francisco of the East. It's very, very hippie, hmm. very, very open hippie vibes, probably more so than any other city on the East coast. So, but Austin's similar to that. You know, the, 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 the slogan of Austin is keep Austin weird. It's a very artsy oh, cool, yeah, yeah, weird place. That, and yeah. that's very up Lars's alley. You know, and they I guess the deal was they headlined the festival two weekends in a row. So, yeah, they probably they probably all camped out there, I would guess. Yeah. And they play a Stevie Ray Vaughan song, quite an obscure song that um, I am a big Stevie Ray fan. I have to say, like when I was growing up and I was getting into all my guitar players and, you know, I was listening to like Hendrix, listening to Steve Vaughan and stuff. I kept hearing this name crop up, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I remember when I was like 15, I had some money for Christmas and I bought his third album, which I think is regarded as his weakest, but it's always had a place in my heart, Soul to Soul. Soul to Soul, yeah. Yeah. Most people start with Texas Flood, for sure. Texas Flood, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. But Soul to Soul, crucially, has uh, the little wing uh, third oh, rock from yeah. the sun jam at the end, which one of those rare occasions, I know this is sacrilege to say, I think it's actually better than the original. I feel the same way about his cover of Voodoo Child. I think yeah. he does Hendrix better than he Yeah, is. yeah, he does. He, he literally does. I mean, Stevie Ray is a, a complete god who I just worship. And then from Soul to Soul, uh, I, you know, I got into In Step, which I think was the last one yeah. before he died, yeah. um, and, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I've, hands up, I'm a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. I've never heard Telephone Song before. Same.
but, but it, apparently it's off the brother the off the record he did with his brother Jimmy so it's not yeah. off uh, Stevie Rayford and um this is quite a cool cut, but I've got to be honest, I went back to the Stevie Ray version, and fucking hell, he rips the solo. It went straight into my playlist. I was like, how have I never heard this song before? But I like the fact that they went there. I like the fact that they paid homage to, uh, what do they call him? The the fucking, the strat in the hat, or the cat in the hat. Yeah. Like, he has all those nicknames. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and again, R.I.P. S.R.V., like, you know what I mean? Gone too soon. One of the greats. I mean, yeah, absolutely one of the, and and he died right after he got clean too. I know because he, oh. he kind of finally cracked the code on getting healthy and you know I'm a, I'm a really you know some people want their rock stars as junkies and want their rock stars dead. Bill Hicks famously has a a really a yeah. bit about it that I like, but I actually yeah I, I want my people healthy and alive and if they need to be drug free, I, I just want them to live long enough to keep writing albums, even if I don't like the albums. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's a shame that we couldn't hear what else he was going to do, you know. But yeah, he he he's if you if you out there have like maybe heard Pride and Joy or something, and haven't really checked out SRV, you really owe it to yourselves because it's he has that ma- that Hendrix magic, but you throw Texas in there, that Texas kind of I don't know like the confidence and the swagger and strut of Texas into that magic. And he was also just like a consummate professional and a great singer. Yeah, great know, voice. But, yeah. But I, I never heard telephone song either, and, and it is cool. And I know that Kirk legitimately loves blues. He loves the blues, and uh, I, I fully believe that he sits around at home and plays the blues. And um, but his—I don't know why he doesn't. Like he at at the end of the tour that I saw, like I remember this distinctly in Nashville when he would play "Nothing Else Matters." He had some crazy Strat, which the Stratocaster is kind of the blues guitar. It's the guitar that Stevie Ray Vaughan played in Hendrix and all this crap. I don't know why when he's doing these kinds of homages, he doesn't bring out a more bluesy sounding guitar because he's playing these blues licks on one of his ESP like mummies. And those just aren't. <laughs> yeah, they're not made to sound punchy like a Strat. They're heavy, super compressed sounding guitars. So it's real pluckety pluckety, which is kind of a bummer. It, it, it really is. Yeah. It uh, Yeah. Good point. I didn't really even consider that, but that completely, yeah, that's, that's true. And, um, again, the comments are pretty savage on this one. Um, <laughs> what they say on this one? Well, I've got, I've not got any quote quotes, but I've just noted that, that, you know, it's just a lot of kind of Stevie Ray Vaughan fanboys kind of decrying it. And I guess, uh, Stevie as well, one of the keys to his sound wasn't just a strat. He had really heavy gauge strings, right? Yeah. He played like 12s or something which which is really hard to bend he he just had really strong hands and he had a really heavy touch like if you ever watch him play he is not like clapton's very delicate but stevie Vaughan would just attack you know and a lot of his sound was in in that kind of vibe because when he played lower gauge or thinner strings he would just pop strings too often mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. he would play 11s or 12s i think maybe he's talking about playing 13s and he's yeah. bending like full and yeah. half step one and a yeah. half step bends. oh my god oh my god yeah. which is really wild yeah, yeah, no, and uh, I mean, but I here's get, the deal. Here's mm. the deal with with like SRV fanboys coming out and and giving them shit, because people, if you go look at, um, if you go look at the Garage Inc. like their recorded versions, like the good Bob Rock ones, the comments in those are brutal too, dude. The comments for Astronomy, you would think that it was the worst version ever because <laughs> these Blue Osher Cult fan, Blue Osher Cult fanboys, they just can't even stomach the idea that they tried it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Astronomy is one of the best recorded Metallica songs of their whole catalog. Mm. But if you go look at the comments, or if you go look at the comments for the Budgie songs, it's like people just, people are hard to please. And I get it, but whatever. In fact, there's one there's one coming up. 
I, I made my notes, so I'll be able to talk about it a little, a little more detail. But mm. I guess they had just played Halo on Fire, and James singles a guy out, and he's like, well, "That guy apparently didn't like that song." And he's like, "I hope you like this next doodle, but you got to open your mind. It's like really up to you to have a good time right now." And I agree with that. Like, it, it, you have to go into it ready to have a good time, and if you do to that, it is a good time. Yeah, yeah, completely. And um, you know, again, it's just I like that they go into these directions. I like that they slip into this Stevie Ray Vaughan bag, and um, you know, I know we're, we're both big John Mayer fans as well. And mm-hmm. that was another thing that compounded me because he has a fucking he has an SRV tat on his arm, like he is, yeah. you know, dedicated, dedicated. So they're in Austin, as you say, for two dates. Uh, Willie Nelson next. Whiskey River. Whiskey River, take my mind. Willie Nelson, who I have to say was someone that I wasn't really aware of. I, I, again, I knew who he was, but uh, mm. I saw him at Glastonbury. I saw him at Glastonbury 2010, and he was phenomenal. And I was really yeah. impressed, not only by singing and the stench of uh, marijuana, but um, his, his guitar play. He is a soulful, jazzy. Yeah. People don't really know that about him, but he's an amazing lead, lead guitar. He's an amazing lead guitar player, and he's an amazing singer. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's one of these guys too. For all you all you kiddos out there, there's a reason you you've heard of him your whole life. Uh, he's not overrated. He's as good. God no. He's as good as you need to be to be hearing him in a pop culture way for your whole life, and it's worth checking out. So here's an here's another thing on Willie Nelson though. Brilliant actor. I don't know if you've seen uh, one of my favorite films in the eighties, Thief. Michael Mann's Thief with James Caan. I haven't. I love Michael Dude, Mann, but I have not oh. seen that. Oh, my God. You know how so many movies are about a safe cracker who has to do one last job before he can retire? Sure. This is the ultimate version of that film. And Willie Nelson is basically... So James Caan goes to prison and learns how to be the ultimate safe cracker in high high security. And Willie Nelson teaches him everything he knows. And Willie Nelson's only in the film for about 15 minutes. And all the scenes they have are just at the glass in prison, just talking about, like, how to, like, be a crook and stuff. And he's amazing in it. I was like... I was watching it. I was like, is that fucking, is that, is that Willie? Is that on the road again? Like, you know, and he, he's so good. Um, with all that being said, this is trash. Like, it's not great, it, right? No, it doesn't have the grainy spirit. It doesn't have that slightly stoneness that Willie needs. The audience don't do much to keep it going. There's a few wrong chords here and there. Kirk gets into the solo. You know, at the risk of repeating myself, I admire the fact that they did this. I, you know, I love the fact that, that it's Kirk and Rob doing Willie Nelson, doing Whiskey River. Um, but you know, I mean, Clint, you've been in these situations where you're doing these kind of sing-alongs on stage and whatever, and they don't offer too much to the crowd. No one seems to be too much on board. It's kind of a bit of a, uh, lead balloon, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I did a whole tour in 2009 with Griffin house where I would do this riff, uh, in the van of, of kind of a riff on living on a prayer that the, Mm. the artist, his name was Griffin house thought was so funny that he basically made me do it every night and sold out clubs for 50 dates. Right. And you really got to get the crowd on your side. That's just a really important part of this kind of thing. And, and Rob tries, I mean, he, 
he tells him, hey, this, you know, he kind of sets it all up. And even James starts setting it up for him, too. James starts saying things like, open your mind and we're going to have some fun. We're here to have fun. And Rob says, hey, we're going to do some local thing. And then, and Rob would even say for some of them, then we're going to do some Metallica. He's almost <laughs> apologizing for it before he starts. It reminds me of when um, I saw A Perfect Circle in 2003 on the 13th Step Tour. And the opener was a band called Failure that the mm. band, that the Perfect Circle really loved. But they were just getting fucking heckled every night and and so Maynard James Keenan would come out before them and basically say you guys need to pay attention to this band don't be mean to this band you know and <sighs> as soon as you start doing that it's over dude oh it's yeah. just over oh so uh, I I empathize with Rob and he tries but I don't do Metallica fans are tough Metallica fans are mm-hmm. a tough group of people they're a hard group of people they're not really there to they're not really there for the fun and games of it. They're there to see Creeping Death. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, th- I think what happened was Metallica grew into a band that's just trying to have fun. And a lot of us, I don't know. I, I don't know. I want to defend us all too and say, well, maybe if it was better, it would be easier to get behind. I don't know. Rob's singing it. It's it's hard. Kirk Kirk's trying to play some country guitar and it's not really working. Mm, no, it's, it, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a uh, debacle. Who was who, <laughs> who, who, who the, uh, the Metal Tales guest, though? The Metal Tales guest was Nicole Williams, who's a, who's a great friend of the show. She she flew down from Buffalo uh, just to come to one of our parties. So she's, she's oh, tied nice. with us. And the, the first one was uh, Mike Fell. So I want to give him a shout out, too. Okay. All right, so moving on to Milwaukee. Milwaukee, mm-hmm. as they say in Wayne's World 2. Or that's Wayne's World 1, actually. We cultivated a couple of uh, Midwestern stylistic jams, grooving stuff. Because Kirk and I love that stuff. And uh, and uh, we always have fun with this. We never know how it's going to turn out. But let's do this, Kirk. All right? Start with the local band. Here we go. So Violent Femmes, Gone Daddy Gone, and Curtis Mayfield, Freddy's Dead. I wasn't familiar with either of these songs. Were you? No, I wasn't. Uh, Violent Femmes, you know, the only reason I really know them, I know they're quite a big band, don't get me wrong, but um, what's that song they have? Da, 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 da. Um, that, is, that is like a jingle on an advert that's been played in the UK for years. Blister so. in the Sun is what it's yeah, called. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to kind of tell which one is which here. Uh, Rob does say we've cultivated a few Midwestern jams and, you know, they sort of go into this direction. It's got some swagger to it. I mean, there's no video of this, we should say. So this is just kind of a dry recording. So we're just going on to the audio. Eventually segues into pulling teeth. Not much to say here, to be honest. Um, Another another doodle, another offering. Something that I doubt stayed in the mind of anyone that was there, you know. Well, I I saw three of these in person and I couldn't really remember anything (laughs) except for for Suido, Alabama. Um, Yeah. Shout out to Tiffany Simonson who did that one with me. All right, so next is Pittsburgh, the PPG Paints Arena. Again, mm-hmm. with the horrible there we go. arena names. 
I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that you have that problem in the UK too, because it, it does feel very shittily American to just, you know, the, our arena in Nashville is called Bridgestone Arena, which Bridgestone is a tire company. Yeah, I think it's even just that, gross. Yeah, even that though, Bridgestone sounds kind it's of cool. authoritative. It sounds cool. Like, yeah, 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 it does. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. if, if you just had the fucking, the Nike Stadium or something, it's just kind <laughs> of, it's just a bit ugly, isn't it? But um, isn't like the, New England Patriots, isn't that like Gillette or something? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, the, well, the Gillette Stadium. Yeah, that's Gillette that's the big stadium. stadium up there in Jersey. Yeah, yeah. They sh- I mean, I mean, look, that's just the way it goes, unfortunately. And eventually, we'll have the M- MUYP Stadium. But until then, uh... <laughs> I actually have a funny story about Gillette Stadium. So, f- for people who live up there, know it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, and uh, the only thing next to it, literally, the only thing next to Gillette Stadium is a hotel. And a Toby Keith's bar and grill. I don't know if you know who Toby Keith <laughs> of is. Of course, the, I know. Yeah, he's the yeah. will we'll kick your ass or whatever redneck yeah, yeah. country guy. So he has these Toby Keith's bar and grills all over the country, and it's it's really weird because it's like Starbucks. They all look the same. And I was on tour in like 2013 with a, a country artist named Jada Dreyer, and we were doing a tour of only Toby Keith's bar and grills. So we would do the one in Denver, get on a plane the next day, do the one in. Uh, Seattle, get on a plane the next day and then do the one in Jersey. So we're, we were super wiped, super fried. We're at the mm. one right by Gillette stadium and we're staying in the hotel right across from Toby Keith's bar grill. The other to the left is Gillette stadium. We're going to the hotel after the gig. Our gig was horrible. No one came super shitty, super terrible. Right. And there were a bunch of like crew looking guys outside of the hotel. So we were out there having a cocktail. There was like a bar. It was kind of outside the hotel and we get to talking to these guys and they're Bruce Springsteen's crew because Bruce is playing the next night at Ooh. Gillette Stadium. And the way they were, they were doing it, kind of the way Metallica does, where they were setting up a show for the next night, the night before, blah, blah, blah. So we talked forever just about Bruce. They had nothing but good things to say about Bruce, blah, 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 blah. As the night's like winding up at like three or four in the morning, I got to go to bed, got to get on a plane the next day. One of the roadie guys mentions that he toured with Metallica for like seven years on the St. Anger tour. Oh. And I was like, well... Time to have another drink. Uh, we're <laughs> yeah. not going to bed. And we stayed up until the sun came up talking about Metallica. Oh, that's fire. That's very cool. That's my, I always think of that when I think of Gillette. I never played Gillette, but that's my memory. Yeah, no, um, many, many years ago, I went on holiday uh, around the sort of Boston area and um, was kind of dri- driving in New England and stuff. And I, yeah, like you said, it is in the middle of nowhere. Like it just came on the horizon, this giant edifice. And I just yeah. saw the words Gillette and I was like, okay, this must be somewhere. And, um, I've got a point I want to make about American sports in a, in a, in a few songs time. So I'll, I'll save that there, but <laughs> okay. uh, let's uh, we're, we're in Pittsburgh now. And this was uh, someone that I've never heard of before. Donnie Iris, apparently an American rock musician who worked with the Jaggers and the wild cherries um, had a number two billboard hit with the rapper. Donnie Iris, Clint is do most Americans know about this guy? Uh, I, well, I, I, I don't want to speak for most Americans. I certainly did not know it. Didn't no. know the song. Didn't know the artist.
I searched Donny Iris Metallica just to see if there might be an article or something, and weirdly, they have covered Enter Sandman, this band, recently. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a clip of them doing it uh, in some small club, and they've got a few hits. Uh, Love is Like a Rock, and the one they play here, Our Lear. Um, not, again, because I don't, because the problem is, when you don't know these songs, it's hard to recognize bad versions of them. So, right. didn't really recognize this. The most memorable thing for me about this is that they segue into Shortest Straw, which yeah. is very cool. That's when you can start to see the people who look confused in the crowd start to get that knowing, that slow dawning of, oh, wait, wait a minute. And then you see the fists pump a little bit. And if, if, I mean, short of straw, I would consider that a deep cut from Justice. So that's fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not quite the, uh, you know, at the Nashville show, we got Dire Z, which we'll get to later. But that everyone who knew what that song was when that happened was we were pretty excited. That was a pretty exciting moment for Dire Z. Short of straw, though, is like, all right, that's nice. That's fun. They can both sing shortest straw onto the mic, and it gets the job done. It does get the job done. Now, um, the next song, I do like the fact that they tried something completely different here. Uh, we're in Pennsylvania, notorious state, I know, uh, recent news withstanding. Now, um, he- here's where I want to get on my soapbox a little bit, and I'm okay. meeting this with love. Please do not get in touch with me, metallicapod.gmail.com, subscribe to Metallica on iTunes, with hate mail. Americans... <laughs> Calm down about high school and college sports. Like, I find it so fascinating that you guys are so into, like, the idea in England or Europe of people being so invested in, like, teams of 16, 17-year-olds is crazy to me. Because here we're in Pennsylvania and they do the Nittany Lion. is kind of he's a mascot of Penn State. Penn State had recently won. Uh he re- uh, Nittany refers to the local Mount Nittany which overlooks the university. And this is a fun clip but I mean sorry Clint I, d- I don't know if you're a big uh, local sports guy yourself but th- it, it's a it's a phenomenon in the US that's always fascinated me that you guys you are OTT for the pigskin. Well, you got to understand Americans are extremely tribal and you know the the whole the whole birth of the nation is built on this idea that us against them forging our own path being a part of a team mm. and the i think the reason that sports captures so many people's imaginations here is that it taps into that thing in us mm-hmm. and uh and america's really big on like local pride so then you you break all that down to 
you know, proud to be an American is like a, you know, a huge, it's a very jingoistic yes. spiritual uh, situation here, which, which I guess it sort of had to be for us to even start and win a, a revolution. So, um, and then you break all that down to, to states and cities and then you, this is, it just feeds into our birthright. You know what I'm saying? So I don't quite see it that way. And I, I, I grew up thinking it was mostly gross. I have recently in the last couple of years gotten personally interested in sports, but not, not in this way. It's that's still kind of a mystery to me. If no. my team loses, it doesn't ruin my day, you know, that, yeah, again, and I, I, I don't want to alienate people. and I'm not trying to judge people or anything like that. And, but I, I've often found, found that crazy that, you know, people do really feel suicidal if, you know, they get more baskets than other people. But, um, <laughs> I meant to mention it before yeah. when we spoke about indigenous, um, Mm-hmm. But Jason Aaron is one of my personal favorite writers. He's a he's a graphic novelist. He writes a lot for Marvel. I personally don't give a fuck about superheroes or any of that bullshit. But um, he writes some brilliant stuff. He wrote he wrote um, Scalped, which I don't know if I texted you about before. Maybe I have. But um, it's basically this. Uh, people call it The Wire on a Native American Indian reservation. It's an unbelievable story. And he currently writes this comic book series called Southern Bastards, which is about small town American football. And it kind of takes the idea and morphs it. So the coach is also a Tony Soprano type figure who wants mm-hmm. to win so badly, he actively murders the opposite teams on the other states' lines and stuff like that. It's brilliant. And it kind of... It it's informed a lot of my thinking about kind of small town America states and stuff like that and, and, and football. But getting back into this, um, they're playing. Um, what's the name of that mascot that go that, that goes viral constantly? Gritty or something? You know, that crazy mascot was like googly eyes. What's his name? Uh, a sports mascot? Yeah, I'm sure everyone's screaming at the podcast now. He's called like Gritsy or something. And he has like. He's like a mental orange monster. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Do you not know what I I'm don't talking know. about? Okay, I'm sure people are talking about that. Um, but uh, so yeah, this is a fun jaunt. It kind of has a military kind of aspect to it. Um, you can see the crowd perfectly in the in the clip. They're bemused. They're grumpily waiting for anyone to break into whiplash for fuck's sake. But I was uh, surprised because I thought when they were setting it up is like, oh, Penn, uh, you know, Penn State won today, and then everyone's like, oh. And then they play a, like a Penn State, the Nittany Lion. I thought more people would get excited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, it just seemed, but but I wonder if it's because they still don't really know what it is. You know, it's it's like, it's hard to decipher. Yeah, they're, uh, yeah, it is, it is a bit of an odd one. But, uh, you know, what we should say is this is an anomaly. Normally, Metallica yeah. are going into these local towns and they're playing these local bands. And, you know, here they are doing a nod to locality, but it's more... There's been a sports victory, so we're going to play the national anthem of this. There's of... been a there's been a sports victory. <laughs> yep, and you'll lose next year, and you'll win the year after, and you'll lose, and you know what the fuck. But um, regardless, that happens, and this is a bit of a weird one to be honest. And um, who? Uh, sorry, who was the metal tales for here? Well, I forgot the one from Pittsburgh, which was Matt from New Jersey. So yep. this one was another mutual friend of ours that's been on your show, Nick McCoviak. Oh, uh, who, who's I, I? I love Nick. We've done loads of good episodes, and he, I know he's done a lot of artwork for you as well. Yeah, he did the artwork for our first two cover our blackened EPs, and then he also did some like early Lunar Satan stuff, which is still really rad. That I hope I can use it in the future. Oh my god. Um, all right, so moving on to Charlotte, the Spectrum Center, October 22nd. 
this is one that says no local doodle performed. They did just a bullet away, but we don't have any audio of this, right? No, there's no audio of this. For some reason, they did just a bullet away, which did we do that on Alpha Metallica? We yeah, did. we did. We did. So um, they did some Beyond Magnetic here. Charlotte, uh, to go back to Ben Folds, the first time I ever heard Charlotte reference was in Brick by Ben Folds. Her oh, mom yeah. and dad went down to Charlotte. They're not home to find us out. Uh, which to That's me, a great like, song. Oh my god! I mean, I mean, like, I'm I'm a Ben Folds freak. Like when you oh, know okay. my um after this episode ends, uh, my friend has a has a like we most Saturdays because obviously it's lockdown here and we shouldn't be mixing households, but fuck it. Um, we we just jam in his garage. He has a drum kit, and most of the time we play other <laughs> we either play Metallica or Ben Folds. Like that's wow. normally kind of our kind of, you know, thing. We do a lot of kind of Benfold solo stuff, but we do brick as well. And yeah, they, they did be on magnetic here. So not much to say. Um, well, shout they, out to Chris Yurgis who came on the show to talk about that gig. And I think that was the first time we had him on. Metallic uh, has, right? Has, yeah. Metallic. Has he ever been on your show before? Yes. Uh, let me, let me double check what we spoke about, but no, he has definitely been on my show and you know, he's, he's a wonderful human being and I'll never forget uh, when I think it was one of the Nashville, oh, we did turn the page. We did turn the page, mm, nice. and I'll never. Um, you you did a one of the Nashville parties, right? And he brought you like one of those plaques, yeah. um, for a million downloads, and like, yeah. oh man, that was so cool. Like, like you know, no shout out to Chris. He's a he's a wonderful guy, and uh, but yeah, he was on for that. And then what's next? It's Philadelphia, right? Next is Philly, Wells Fargo Center, October twenty fifth. Uh, I love Motown, but I was not familiar with this OJ song, For the Love of Money. Tells was Brian McLaughlin, so shout out to him. Fun- I have funky bass opening with some scratches, cool. He- and then when they get into it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty heavy, but I'm I'm mostly kind of glazed over until they talk about how it's Glenn Tipton's birthday and they do uh, a Judas Priest song, mm. and Kirk actually sings it, which I have in my notes. Sounds pretty good. crazy everyone has these black spots you know these black holes i've never clicked with judas priest me neither i'm not saying i don't like them and i love rob halford in interviews and what's really cool is rob halford was born in warsaw which is like a kind of little west midland suburb kind of aussie territory birmingham territory very close to where i grew up most of my friends from warsaw i went to school uh, in aldridge which is next to warsaw 
And I love him, and I think he's a really smart, interesting guy. But I've just never clicked for their music. I can't say there's any Judas Priest song that I like. I'm not saying there's any that I dislike. I'm not saying I don't think they're a good band. But you know, you know what I mean? You know when you sort of, you, like, your songs, you're in, and then you just go forward from there. I just don't really like Judas Priest. I, uh, they're, you know what's the problem? They're too free of irony. They're a little too sincere for me. Yeah, I, me and my, my friend Bob and I argue about this a lot because I'm with you. Like, I, I need a little bit of that irony in there. But then again, I have some bands that I love that are so sincere, like The Cure or Pearl Jam or, like... Mm-hmm. REM, but, um, but I'm with you. It's, it's weird. I've tried. I've, I've, I've have uh, painkiller and screaming for vengeance on vinyl just cause I found them out in the wild on tour use. And I was like, there is something in me that feels like I need to, I need it. You know, I need to understand yeah. it. Like I really want to, cause there's such a, they're so important. I mean, Metallica is like my favorite band in the world. Right. And Judas Priest is one of their favorite bands. There's oh yeah. Thread, there's a thread there that I, because for me, like Sabbath, Oh baby, I get it. I'm in. Oh, oh, I'm, God, yeah. I'm in deep. Oh, God, I mean, Sabbath yeah. is Sabbath is so important to me, and to a lesser extent, but still very important and deep would be like Motorhead, Iron Maiden. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's important for me to trace those threads because of really because of Metallica. The same way that tracing the threads with Pearl Jam would be the Who or Dylan would be Woody Guthrie, blah blah blah. But I'm with you, man. Judas Priest, it just doesn't really. I think you had to have been there, and I think you had to have been of a certain age. Yeah, yeah. I mean. um, uh rob rob halford did do a project post priest with trent reznor i don't know if you ever heard two no from the from from the mid 90s that's really cool very industrial and Hmm. um the band that uh halford had after priest fight who had two or three records they supported metallica on the reload tour uh, I remember that because because Rob came out and they did some pre songs, right? Yeah, that yeah, tour. that's right, yeah. that's right. And uh, you know, again, I don't want to hop back to Half Metallica too much, but I have done a whole episode on every single Metallica support band, so go back <laughs> and, and and listen to that. Uh, but um, but but yeah, uh, you can you talk know, about I, you can talk about any Half Metallica episode you want, dude. This oh, this yeah. is you can you can harken back as much as you want. I'm, as I'm as your sure. Heart I'm, desires. You know, I don't. Um, Again, like, you know, I'm not the biggest Priest fan. I know that Ralph Savetto is spitting out his blackened whiskey right now that we don't know these songs. But um, I should say this song, I did research. The song they play is a song I've never heard. It's a song called The Green Manalishi from Killing Machine. And mm-hmm. it's a kind of standard, flashy, power chordy kind of slidey thing. And there's war and there's, you know, there's, there's normal stuff. But you mentioned Sabbath before. And just before we push on to the next uh, band, I you know who who was the Metal Tales for um, Philly? Brian McLaughlin, which I Brian think that McLaughlin. was one Ethan did. I don't I don't recall that. Okay, okay. It's uh, it's great though that there's so such uh, uh, an overlap with with these. Like you know, I know that there's going to be people in the future that you're going to mention that I've had on the show. So we're in Buffalo now. For me personally, the ultimate Buffalo band is Talus, but Alice. They didn't play Talus. Are you are you a Talus fan? Uh, I've never even heard of it. Really? Um. So uh, do you know Billy Sheehan? Yes, I know Billy Sheehan, bass player, bass player, uh, genius bass player from Mister mm-hmm. Big, one of my all time favorite bands. Also with Steve Vai and uh, you know various other the Winery Dogs, um, uh, David Lee Roth, of course, as well. Uh, right. Uh, but 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 yeah, Talos were kind of like a classic Buffalo band. I'm not saying I expected them to play Talos, but just when I think of Buffalo, I either think of Buffalo Wings or I think of Talos. But they do something interesting here, Clint. They play Sabbath, but with kind of a cannibal corpse flavor, right? 
Yeah. So I guess Cannibal Corpse from Buffalo, which I have a I have a, a very tenuous relationship with Cannibal Corpse on the on the podcast. I oh, like when your whole Cannibal Corpse tirade rubbed me the wrong way. I've got to be honest. <laughs> I I saw your objections. Now now okay, let's just clarify something because uh, people who listen to MUYP before we know that you have a problem with the lyrics. Yeah. I it's, uh, I would argue, and I'm not trying to insult you. You know I respect you, but. I, were you being sincere? Were you being 100% sincere when you were like so repulsed by those lyrics? Yeah. I see that as a failure of imagination. Why? Well, you're a horror fan, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, even in the horror community, there's there there's certain films within the horror, like, because that was people's argument. They're like, why do you like Nightmare on Elm Street? It's like, you're going to compare, I mean, I'm not even going to recite any of their disgusting lyrics, but no, it's no, nowhere but- near the imagination of of true horror of hp lovecraft of of hitchcock of what of of william friedkin and the exorcist of of any of these great people it's just complete gross out disgusting shit and there's horror versions of it that i don't watch you know there there are some horror movies where i've looked at the the synopsis or the trailer and i won't watch it i don't mm. know if that makes me prudish or what but i'm not just because it's a fantasy doesn't mean I'm open to whatever some sick fuck wants to say artistically. I I lock arms and fight for their, you know, the freedom for them to say it. I think that's really important. But I don't really hand out blank checks. Like, I'll check it out. And if I think it's disgusting, it's disgusting to me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's fair enough. I think it's different mediums, isn't it, as well? There's a difference uh, to showing and telling. And I, mm. I just, I yeah. just, I, I, I kind of, again, because you were speaking about it so much on the show that mm-hmm. it made me sort of go to it and read it. And yeah, yeah, it is crazy. And I think it's actually creatively successful. I think it's almost breaking new ground. I'm not saying it's artistically genius, but, you know, when they talk about the vaginal flesh and, and all that sort of idea and, and embryos and stuff like that. For me, ultimately, art has to break new ground and kind of uh, spark synapses that have laid dormant. And that certainly did that in me when I was reading those lyrics. I was like, holy fuck. And that was kind of exhilarating on a, on a, on a base level. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like it, when you take it down, when you take the medicine the, first, the one time, it's so shocking. And there's it's almost brave in, in, the, in the way you're describing. I think we could maybe use words like courageous or brave or envelope pushing. Mm. And I, I value all those things in art for sure. But when you scale back, when you start to look at it at scale and you look at it, it's it's all this guy's been writing about for 20 or 30 years. My my argument is that something's wrong, that there is a unhealthy predilection and preoccupation with the material that seems to go beyond trying to be artistically interesting. You know, that's just my contention about it. But Wes Craven has been preoccupied with murder for 40 years, no? Well, he also made some dramas, too. I mean, he, he didn't well, only Predominantly, I mean, that's his, you know, that's his output, isn't it? Yeah, but to me, to me, you've got whatever Cannibal Court choking on vaginal skin, okay, which they've written, I don't know, 40 times. Sure. Eating dead bodies. Versus Wes Craven, you know, the whole idea of Nightmare on Elm Street, there is a philosophy behind it. Wes Craven was an incredibly erudite, intelligent person, college-educated, mm-hmm. And a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of a metaphor for the American dream. And I'll just, I'll beseech the listeners out here to go investigate that further. There's a lot of really deep symbolism in the character of Freddy Krueger. Even down to, he made his sweater red or uh, red and green because those are the two colors that when put together, the rods and cones of your eyes and how you interpret color, those are the most jarring colors to go together. So almost everything about him 
is meant to make you uncomfortable and unsettled. And he's almost like a symbol for what we fear the most in ourselves. So now whether or not you think that's pretentious is fine, but I don't think you could really do any type of deep analysis of that, of choking on vaginal skin. I don't know if that rescues it though, just because there's a deeper meaning. I think ultimately it's, how can you argue that Friday the 13th isn't, sorry, sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street. They, they, they're all the same to me. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, Halloween, all that bullshit. Uh, word to Red Eye, by the way, good Wes Craven film. Um, but look, let's, uh, we're going down a rabbit hole here. and We've got a lot of songs to get into. Well, here's so, the deal. We all know that, we all know how you feel about Cannibal Corpse now. And I'll say about you what I've said about the other people who wrote in to defend them. Go mm-hmm. ahead and put you on the same watch list. Just go ahead and. Keep an eye on Tom Quee over here because uh, I, check I think, under the floorboards. That's all. I uh, Yeah, that sort of thing's so reductive. It's like people who hate Lennon because of what he was like in his personal life. I think you can separate the two. I personally think you can separate the two. But well, I think of- they just I think they just busted that guy for actually kind of going a little nuts. I mean, he uh, he's collecting human skulls. He was trying to kill himself. He was trying he tried to burn down his own house. There's been some news about that Cannibal Corpse guy uh, in the last month or so. But he can still say what he wants to say. I mean, sure. you know, if he's a, you know, a, a button-down banker or if he's a sociopath, I think you should just be able to access those creative impulses. Well, just to be clear, I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm not saying that he, his, he should be outlawed. I'm just saying the idea that it's just theater, I think he stretches that. I think he stretches that for me. I really need to hear a Metal Tales of you and him. That would be the ultimate. Well, if he doesn't hunt me down and kill me first. Well. And and the man <laughs> the man Paul Moak just meditating in between in, in the smokestack. We're on, yeah, Zero the Hero from Born Again. I looked up the song, which said it's one of the main inspirations for Paradise City, which I've never heard of and really couldn't. No, I've never. Have, have you heard? Have you heard the story behind the Born Again uh, album art? No, I haven't. Because famously, it's regarded as one of the worst album arts ever. It's like a, it's uh, like a cartoonish baby or something. That's right. That's right. And yeah. apparently, uh, if I remember my Eddie Trunk podcast correctly, it was a case where the it was the guy who'd done all the black sabbath artworks beforehand and ozzy and sharon on the solo career had asked him to do uh something it, it, basically he was asked by sabbath to do this artwork and he didn't want to do it so he thought to himself okay i'll do the worst possible job and there's no way they'll say yes and they loved it <laughs> so they used it and it became part of that and it is kind of this you know kind of lost album i'm sure a uh, mutual friend of ours rye from sabbath bloody podcast is uh, banging his fist on the table right now as i'm telling this story wrong but um yeah they get no, that this... sounded right to me and it's yeah. the ian it's the ian Gil- gillen it's or, right uh, yeah that's right gillen the, sabbath right so it's like ian a gillen sabbath. really strange version of sabbath Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and uh, I mean, we'll get to Dio shortly as well, uh, talking of other Sabbaths. But um, yeah, you can see the sort of impatient New Yorkers waiting for this to end. There's a few solitary horns kind of rocking in the crowd. 
there's a stomp to it. I mean, chalk this up to a mandatory doodle rather than something euphoric, you know? Yeah, I actually wrote in my notes, I wrote the word stomp as well because they actually literally do sort of stomp around the stage. They do. Which is nice. And shout out to Jeff McDonald who did the Metal Tales. Uh, Next is Albany, so still up there in New York. Times Union Center, October 29th. This is the Dio stand-up and shout... Metal Tales, shout out to Will Valor. So I can't hear, I, I, Dio's another guy that never really happened to me. Rainbow mm-hmm. didn't happen, Dio didn't happen, Dio era Sabbath didn't happen to me. Not yet, there's still time. But uh, I can't hear that title without thinking of uh, Steel Dragon stand up and shout. Did you ever see the movie Rockstar? Oh yeah, lo- love that film. Great, yeah. great, great. Mo- great really film. underrated movie, great rock and roll movie. I agree, I no, I completely agree. It's weird because uh, me and my friend watched clips of that I mentioned the studio before, his little garage. Last week, uh, we are, me and my friend and a few of my friends are huge Alter Bridge fans. I think they're a fantastic band. I think Blackbird from 2008. I'm going to go on record. I'm going to say it might be the best rock record of the last 20 years. Like, I think it's absolutely outstanding. And one of the reasons it is, is because Miles Kennedy is their singer guitar player. And he's in Rockstar. In the fo- you remember the final scene when Mark Wahlberg gets usurped by that guy in the crowd who can sing better than him? Oh, yeah, that, that is Miles Kennedy, That's isn't Miles it? Kennedy. Yeah, that's Miles Kennedy. And, uh, wow. Uh, yeah, so... And word to Zach Wild, word to Dominic West as well, being in the band. And um, yeah, don't Albany, forget about uh, Stephen Jenkins. Steve, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, third Eye Blind. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, so, but yeah, Dio for me, I like Rainbow uh, quite a bit actually. I especially like Rainbow Rising. Uh, I like, really like the song. Do you uh, do you close your eyes when you make love? Uh, and <laughs> um, uh, Mob Rules. You down with Mob Rules, that song by Sabbath? Yeah. That's yeah. a good song. That's a good song with a good solo. But yeah, I agree. I'm not like a huge Dio fan or whatever. Uh, word to Albany as well. First time I was aware of Albany was through The Simpsons. Uh, steamed Hams. Albany gets mentioned in in probably one of the most famous sketches from The Simpsons, 22 short films about Springfield. And, uh, you know, Rob says tonight we're celebrating a very important artist, one of the best singers on the planet, one of the nicest guys as well, which is what everyone says about Ronnie James Dio, that yep. he was a lovely human being. And, yep. you know, apparently... Um, he was one of these guys who just he didn't get himself checked. You know, he had a bit of an issue and he left it for years and then he died. So yeah. anyone out there who's maybe doubting that, please do. And I should say as well, Stand Up and Shout, which is the name of this song. Uh, Dio's wife, Wendy, she formed the Stand Up and Shout Cancer Fund, which was named after this song. Cool. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's an okay version. Um, it kind of does what it does. It's kind of the opening song of his post-Sabbath record. It's It's kind of a kind of riffy sweet spot pedal point chug i think the best bit for me was at the end when rob just says we love you ronnie <laughs> the best part was when they stopped doing it <laughs> the best part was when there was no music yeah uh, yeah it's fine but, it, it's yeah. cool it's it's cool you can see there's a genuine love for the material it, it this wasn't one that i felt like they were like oh crap let's look something up in south dakota this is like a dude that they i'm sure were personal friends with and who really looked up to and grew up with and their music and a joy to play like it'd be really fun for me to you know play a dave matthews song in front of an arena 
how, sure. the, the joy of how much I actually love the material would come through, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you a Dave Matthews? Have we talked about this? I, I imagine we've you... spoken. No, we have. We have spoken this back and forth. And like the fact that you're such a fan of him makes me want to get more into it. And I do. Lo- I do like him. Like I, I, he's just not someone that I've necessarily explored that much. But yeah, I know. I know you're a giant head of his, and I. I, I I hope you feel the same way about Tom Waits that I feel about Dave Matthews. It's like we respect each other. We both know that they're our favorite artists, but <laughs> there's something in our soul that says, "Oh, maybe." I love Tom Waits. I, oh, you I do. It, the flavor is so strong that I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, my favorite album of his is Mule Variations because he oh. has a song on there called "Take It With Me." Take it with oh, me. Oh my god! That, Are you like, kidding me? Oh, just one that's... of the best. That's just one of the best songs ever. Let alone one of his. And then I like his seven. I have some of his seventy stuff. But what like, about uh, what about Rain Dog, Swordfish, like the eighties Islander era? Like, have you listened to any of those? My friend Bob Schneider's really into that stuff, and he kind of hips me to it. The flavor is just strong. It's 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 an acquired taste. But I definitely have crossed the threshold of like I one hundred percent trust him as an artist, and I I assume if I don't, get, it's like Bowie a little bit. I assume mm-hmm. if I'm not liking it, that the problem is with me. I don't yeah. think he's overrated. You know what I mean? I think he's a true visionary and, oh, that, God, no. I, and that I I have a lot to learn on the Tom Waits front. And these are all things that I wouldn't even say about Dave Matthews, even though I'm a much bigger fan. So no, no, it's like it's like, yeah, it's the Dave Matthews thing is just it's just I, I just need to sort of get a foothold in it. I think more than anything like, like I, need, I, do, I need to just make you a mixtape is what I need to do. That would be really useful. Actually. I could do it. I could do it because I. Could, I you know, in fact, I have a playlist on my Spotify that I'm just looking through now that I've kept for the last uh, like 10 years. And I've just searched the word Dave Matthews and, and one song has came through. I know there's one song that I've heard that I love. The song is called Lying in the Hands of God. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. So that, that that's, again, I'm and you like it? Blank. I love it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It, I mean, the reason it's on the playlist is because I really like it, but I can't say i really remember yeah. it but i could find um, you i could find you 10 10 tunes that have that flavor that i think you'd like okay okay that's fine master master okay that is going to conclude our part one of the rob and kirk doodles episode hope you enjoyed it uh, go check out alpha Metallica, where you can find the episode that covers the european arena tour where they covered all of those and i'm sure he'll be doing a volume three coming up too and uh, it's just good to support him. Go support the other Metallica podcasts. If, you, if you've if you got room to keep listening to people talk about Metallica, there's definitely no lack of the conversation out there, which is awesome. And uh, the homework, of course, as always, is to finally clickety-clack your way to iTunes. Leave the positive review. It's easy to do. doesn't cost you anything. helps the show. If you think the show has value and you're willing and able, you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Metal Up Your Podcast, where we do all sorts of giveaways and you're going to get all the EPs that we have, four or five EPs, the quarantine covers, access to the Zoom hangs. You're going to be able to ask our guests like Hailstorm and Slipknot questions. And then, of course, the Lunar Satan Kickstarter is going to be live until December 18th. So uh, the more support over there, the better. You're going to pre-order the album. Hopefully it's going to be on that blood red uh swirl translucent and i think that's it the second part of this series will drop on thursday and uh, take care of yourselves take care of your families see you on the flip-flop peace and adios if you were our advisor what would you say then i would say delete that